0: Before we begin the A Beautiful Game podcast, this week we found out about the passing of Terry Cooper at age 77. Cooper began his career with a 13-year stint at Leeds United where he made 250 appearances before further stints at Middlesbrough, Bristol City, Bristol Rovers and Doncaster Rovers. He also made 20 appearances for the England national team. He then went into a managerial career where he managed Bristol Rovers, Bristol City, Exeter City and Birmingham. During his time in football, he won the First Division, the League Cup, the Charity Shield and the InterCities Fairs Cup. He also won the Football League Trophy as a manager. The most interesting thing about Terry Cooper, especially starting football, is that he just showed up to Leeds one day with his football boots and a paper bag and said, Can, can I play? And they said yes, they gave him a trial and then they decided to give him a contract and the rest, as they say, is history. If there is one very, very thin silver lining in a very thick black cloud, it is that all of the legends that Leeds have lost over the last year during the pandemic did all get that one night together in 2019 at the centenary celebrations. They were all together for one last time. And whilst it's not much, it is something that at least they did have that moment together. But all of our thoughts go to Terry Cooper's friends and family during this incredibly tough time. Hello and welcome to the Abuseful Game podcast, your wise middle of the week football discussion show. I'm Alex Woodward, going to be joined by Alex Towles later on to talk about Werder Bremen win of the weekend over Fortuna Düsseldorf, but for the time being, just me. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. We're now into the second week of Wiesweiter Bundesliga, and again, another exciting week of football. Not for St. Pauli, who drew 0-0 with Ezeba Giao. but apart from that, it was actually a good weekend of football. So, hopefully, going to have some stuff to talk about. Of course, there was stuff going on outside of Germany as well, which we'll get on to um, later on. But... For the time being, let's talk about the East Fighter Bundesliga. Let's start with my game of the weekend. We're going to be talking about this game later on, obviously, but my game of the weekend is Fortuna Dusseldorf 2, The Head of Bremen 3, because it was just fantastic, and I think by the time we get to the end of the year, it will still probably be one of my favourite games of this season. It was absolutely phenomenal, it was a great game. If you haven't seen the highlights, go and watch them. But, for the time being, let's go into the rest of these fighter Bundesliga. And let's start with the Friday fixtures. Karlsruhe 3, Darmstadt 0, the first one. Philip Hoffman, not that one. Responding best to a deflection from a free kick for the opening goal. The second goal was well taken. Scored by Kyung-Rok Choi. I think that's how you say his name. If you, if it's not, then I apologise. But then, third goal again, scored by Philip Hoffman. Really bad defending from Darmstadt For that. Karlsruhe, what a start to the season they've had. Two wins from two so far to open up the season. That's alongside Jan Regensburg, who I think I've got mentioned in the show plan later on. Yes, yes, I do. And yeah, it was an incredibly convinced performance by Karlsruhe. I think Darmstadt only had like three shots in the entire game. So yeah, really convincing start to the season by Karlsruhe this game. Absolutely proved that for Darmstadt they're one of four sides on no points so clearly losing Marcus Amfang has been not very great for them. Let's go to the second game from Friday which definitely was a game with more talking points. Paderborn 2 Nuremberg 2. So this fighter Bundesliga have put their goals of the week up on YouTube and you know fairly standard just five goals of increasing impressiveness. And they put on the opening goal from this game. Janis Hoyer scoring for Paderborn after 18 minutes. One small problem. It should have never stood. It was ridiculous for this goal stood. Before the corner was taken, I don't know which player it was, but they just shoved a Nuremberg player to the ground. Both hands flat against his body, pushing him to the ground. It was as clear a foul as you could want. It was absolutely blatant. And yet, and by the way, there was another foul um, as the ball came in, but VAR didn't correct either of them. What? I truly didn't get it. It was so frustrating because we have VAR to correct clear and obvious decisions. And for the most part, the officiating in Germany, in this fight of Bundesliga and in the Bundesliga, is really good. And yet, they didn't see the most blatant foul I've ever seen. He just pushes him. He just pushes him to the ground. And it's not like, you know, the ball was close by and he was challenging through it. No, no, no. This was just before the corner was taken. Just shoves him. And and they didn't correct it. I I genuinely was stunned by that. I was absolutely stunned how it was allowed to stand is beyond me. In all fairness, the football gods did at least correct it, because the Matt Molladale goal, I think I say his name, he used to play for St. Pauli, but his goal was quite fortunate, it hit the post and then came back off the keeper's back and into the net, so that was a bit lucky, then they went 2-1 up after 58 minutes at Nuremberg, they they got the equaliser in the 54th minute, they went 2-1 up after 58 minutes, Manuel Schaffer, Schaffer? Schaffler. Schaffler. Manuel Schaffler scoring the second. Really good header. Then, Nuremberg's time racing was a bit blatant, but it always felt like Paderborn could get one back, and they did in the eight fifth minute. Sven Michael perfectly playing the offside trap for the equaliser quite comfortably onside in the end as well, but it was a really good finish, and it's probably a deserved result, I don't think. Even if we remove the fact that Paderborn's opener just should not have stood at all then I I just I don't think that Nuremberg were very convincing towards the end of the game to be honest I, I didn't look at them and go yeah they definitely deserve to hold on to this victory though if they said you know we feel like we deserve that I wouldn't complain if Paderborn said we deserve to win I would have laughed at them but Nuremberg slightly edged it but It does feel like a draw was probably the right result. Overall, I would recommend watching the highlights. And if you are in the UK, you can watch the highlights on the Bundesliga's website, which is quite convenient. I don't think you could do that last year. I might have mentioned that in last week's podcast. I don't really remember. It was it was a good game, but again, I don't like games with that have a controversial sour note. And this game most certainly did. Final score, though, Paderborn 2, Nuremberg 2. Let's go into the start of the games then. Let's start with Ingolstadt 1, Heidenheim 2. Lovely banner before the start of the game. The players welcoming the fans back to Ingolstadt. Wilkemen Zurich Schanze, which is the... I think is it like the nickname of the team. It's on, it's on the badge. I don't know if it's like a nickname or or something else, but whatever it was, it was lovely. And then the football gods rewarded that loveliness with with nothing. Philip Bilbeger, I think, getting the opening goal, 14 goals starting the 59th minute. They absolutely dominated the game, but two goals in the space of three minutes meant that Heidenheim went away with the victory. Patrick Schmidt scoring in the 73rd minute. And then in the 75th minute, Tim Kleindienst, I think is how you say his name, scoring from inside the centre circle. And that was seconds after Ingolstadt had hit the bar as well. So you really get that double whammy. In fact, triple whammy because they'd only just conceded in the first place. But, I mean, it was really bad keeping. But there was no way. There was no way that Ingolstadt deserved to lose that game on paper. It was fascinating that they actually ended up losing that. And, yeah, with that goal coming from inside the centre circle as well, it wasn't quite a... Beckham against Wimbledon sort of thing, but it was a really good finish considering he's inside the centre circle as he shoots. Keeper should have done more, but still, you got to give him credit. Ingolstadt had dominated the game. It really feels harsh that they lost, but if you are going to lose, then you might as well lose to a moment of sheer brilliance, and that's what happened with Klein-Dienst, I want to say is how you say his name. Yeah, Ingolstadt won, Heidenheim at two. Let's go on to the next game. Jan Regensburg 3, Sandhausen 2. Sandhausen losing there, one of four teams who are on no points alongside Ingolstadt, the bad luck extraordinaire team. And Regensburg, as mentioned, one of two teams who are on a 100% record and one of three teams who have not conceded yet in this fighter Bundesliga season. I know this would be a quite controversial view, but one of my men of the match, and I think it would be a good. Candidate for man of the match would be Sandhausen keeper Patrick Drewes, because he made a few fantastic saves. I know he conceded three goals, but to be honest, he was absolutely pummeled all day, and so that's not really a surprise. But he did make a few absolutely outstanding saves, and on the ones where he he didn't save them, obviously he conceded three. I wouldn't say any of them were his fault. It was either a good finish or bad defending, and sometimes both. But, yeah, I think he played phenomenally, and he deserves a lot of praise for for how he played. But the rest of the team, eh, not so much. Carlo Bukalva scoring the opening goal for Regensburg in the 34th minute. Scott Kennedy scoring in the 70th minute. Joel Svart scoring in the 81st minute again. Sandhausen did pretty much nothing. When they did attack, and we did get a few attacks in this game, they didn't really look that threatening to be honest and defensively they were so 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 shaky. Not helped by father Umar Diakite got sent off in the 75th minute for two yellow cards and yeah Sandhausen can't complain about this result. They were far outclassed by Jan Regensburg and Regensburg a wonderful start to the season. Don't think anyone would have seen this coming in their wildest dreams over there and Played really convincingly in both of their games as well, so they deserve a lot of credit for how they've done. And again, another really good performance against Sandhausen, slightly helped by the dreadful defending, but 3-0 was the final score. Okay, we'll move on to the next game then. Fortuna Dusseldorf 2, Werder Bremen 3, and special guest for this part, Alex Towles.
1: Hi, I'm here. I'm not here very often.
0: You're not here very often. It's nice that you've come along to talk about Werder Bremen winning. It is nice to be here to talk about Verde Bremen winning. It's been a long time since we've talked about
1: Verde Bremen winning.
0: It has. The last time we probably talked about Werder Bremen in general, us two, was probably on the day they were relegated, right?
1: Yeah, and they lost, they, they didn't win in any of their last nine games in the league. Yes, was so... at one
0: point in the end.
1: Yeah, one point from the last nine league games to go down. I should probably so,
0: apologise because I'm sure there was an episode last year in March where I said, "Yeah, they're probably safe now."
1: Yeah, I I feel like we were all like, "Yeah, they're fine. They only need to like win a couple of games to stay mm. up," and then they did not win a couple of games. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: was dear. it ten points clear with nine games to go?
1: Yeah, something like that. And then and then they just decided to bottle it. Yeah. Which you know what. I can't really blame them. It's been coming for quite a while, but mm. uh, now we get to see um, we get to see them in the Zweibundersliga, uh, making that league even more fun than it already was.
0: Yeah, what a what a loaded league! I mentioned this last week, obviously, but what a loaded league this mm. item is
1: this year. Hamburg, Schalke, Werder, Hanover. It's going it's to be a really good one. Looking mm. forward to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The one-all draw last week, I think a lot of the uh, sloppiness by both sides can be blamed on the weather conditions. But going to this game, then, Josh Sargent, the best striker in the world, the best striker in the spider bar Matthew Hopper at their level. <laughs> mm. Oh, and Guido Bergstaller, you got to that. The thing, Guido thing it's like.
1: We were saying this like half jokingly as much as as much as we do genuinely love Josh Sargent. In the Bundesliga mm. we were like he's the best striker in the league, best striker in the world. When in the Spartak Bundesliga, Josh Sargent could actually be the he, best he striker. He probably is. If he turns up. If he turns up, Josh mm. Str- Sargent could actually be the best striker in this league. And he got a brace, got a brace in this game, uh, which was lovely to see. I think it was his first brace uh in Compe- first brace in adult competitive football? That doesn't sound right. First brace in a long time. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I saw a stat about it being his first brace in whatever.
0: but mm. anyway. The first yeah. goal should have mm. stood because there were quite a few Fortune and Dusseldorf hands going up after the goal went in yeah. because they claimed it, it hit his hand.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I I watched this quite closely on the replay and like it's one of those where... It doesn't hit his hand, but it does hit, like, his upper shoulder chesty bit. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the bit level with the sleeve. So, mm. and I think... I, I don't know what the rules are like in this fight league these days, but I'm pretty sure they have recently updated the le- the rules in the English game, at least, for handball. So mm. that, like, sleeve is not handball. um, Not sleeve is handball in terms mm. of, like, hitting your arm. It's a batista
0: thing now. Yeah. Is yeah.
1: like so. I I think uh, and it, I, while it might have hit his arm, like it was definitely more like chest and shoulder than it was arm, at least to yeah. my eyes. But then again, the camera angle for it was awful, it so was, I can't yeah.
0: really talk. The it it feels like it would have probably been disallowed last year. Yeah, but this quite year possibly. we've all sort like, of grown up mm, and decided like, that's not actually handball. Yeah,
1: because um, the surviving Bundesliga doesn't have VAR, does it? It does. Oh, it does. Mm. In which case, then they they didn't VAR it. I was going to say, like, if it had VAR, I feel like it might have been taken a closer look at and mayhaps we would have seen a bit more. But they did have VAR and they didn't overturn it, so I will be quiet now.
0: <laughs> well, talking about VAR not overturning... Now, I've I've already mentioned it. I'm not mentioning it again. <laughs> oh, God, that paid well. They put it in goals of the week, even though it shouldn't have been allowed... La- oh, mm. Anyway, it's <laughs> still annoying me. Dusseldorf equalised after that. Really good volley from Rowan Hennings outside of his foot. I don't think there's any real complaining there can have about that defensively. It was just a really good finish.
1: Yeah, but, like, it was a good finish, but, like, at the same time, you probably should have been closed down a little bit better. Like, Mm. that's what, what... really good sides won't let other teams have good shots because they will always close down every single thing, so it's always really hard to get that shot off. And like, mm. while it was a really good technical effort, like I feel like Bremen... That's something that Bremen need to work on.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Josh Sargent did get a second, though, as you mentioned. This one, less controversial, funnily enough. Just header at the back post, very well taken. Sort of uses the... Defender was a pommel horse, which I quite liked. But, mm. yeah. Very no very traditional
1: complained. striker's goal, which mm. is uh, what we love to see from Joshy Sargent.
0: Yes. And then it all sort of started going a bit weird in added time. <laughs> Dusseldorf <laughs> yeah. equalised in the 93rd minute. But it was mm. such a mishit, bad shot. It mm. should have had no chance of going in, and yet the look of Dusseldorf, it just manages to find that just the mm. side of the net pretty much.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, so I I've been as I do. I've been playing Football Manager, uh, mm. and I'm playing Football Manager with Sunderland. And my Sunderland team find it physically impossible to hold on to a lead. <laughs> like we will concede in the last ten minutes of a game. Like it, it just always happens. I can't remember the last time we didn't concede in the last ten minutes of a game. Uh, it just always happens, and I feel like like watching well. I I can't say watching, because I didn't watch the game, but I had match alerts on because I was out of friends. And, yeah. like, seeing the match alerts come in for this for the last five minutes felt like playing Football Manager with my <laughs> Sunderland side. Because this was like, oh, we're winning. No, can't hold on to a league. Oh, we got the penalty. Oh, we scored. Wow. Except, obviously, in Football Manager, that doesn't happen because Football Manager hates you, me, and everyone. <laughs>
0: But yeah, it it just felt I just I remember seeing it, I just went typical. Typical. Yeah. Because no way should it have gone in. No way it should have happened, but it just didn't and at that point it seems fairly obvious that Dusseldorf were going to walk away with a point, but then Khalid Navi, having just scored, decided to do a different kind of kicking. I think we both agreed that it was a relatively light penalty, but Yeah.
1: It is um it's one of those where Nari obviously doesn't mean to kick Felix Agu in the back of the leg. Uh, mm. he's going for the ball, like he's and he's like falling over as he does it. He's trying to like he swings wildly at the ball to try and kick it away. But at the same time, from out of his field of vision, Felix Agu has slid in and tried to control the ball himself. Yeah. And Agu gets there first, and thus what Nari does is just kicks him really hard on the back of the leg. Yeah. And yeah. so like as much as it wasn't like an intent an intended thing to do you have just kicked the opposition player really hard in the back of the leg in your own penalty box there's no real complaints
0: yeah and it is a, a quite wild kick it is mm. like fully you know big yeah. swinger that sort yeah, of would be and, and hitting like, a home run if it was a baseball yeah, swing like, and you can't blame him what he's trying to do is like as he falls
1: over just swing his leg at it to get it as far away from their penalty box as possible like it's yeah. a clearance kick uh, but the clearance kick just hits a goo in the back of the leg and gives away a penalty.
0: Yeah. Slightly annoying that Josh Sargent wasn't allowed the chance to get his hat-trick, but to be honest, I don't think that was the most important thing for Werder at that point. Edgerstein no. stepped up to convert the penalty 3-2 is how it mm. finished. And
1: they can actually say that Verder Bremen have won a football match now.
0: They've won a football match. Mm. Which, and, and it feels... Get gone.
1: in. Yeah, get in. It, it feels like... Now, I don't want to jinx this, so i got to be aware that I'm conscious of what I'm saying, but it could well be a change of luck. Mm. Like, this, this could be the thing. Like, the, the Werder Bremen of last season's run-in um, do not get that penalty. Yeah. Like, like that kind of luck did not befall Werder Bremen in their, in their run in the Bundesliga last year. Uh, they've got it now. They've got themselves up and running with a wi- with a win in the in the league Um This could well be the way that they kickstart their season. I think we and we'll know if that's the case after the next game. I believe. Yeah. I I don't think we can say that like oh yeah we can point at that and say yeah Werder Bremen have kickstarted their season if they go mm. and then lose to Padovon this Sunday.
0: <laughs> but, no, next um, Sunday. Oh, next Sunday. Pokal this Sunday, hmm? playing Osnabrück. Oh, Osnabrück. Mm. Yeah. One of them fun teams. Yes, we love Osnabrück. We're doing. So I, 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 I somehow
1: opened up the uh, wrong fixture screen. Oh well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like if they go, if they go and lose to Osnabrück this Sunday, then we can't really say that they've managed to kickstart their season by with this win against Düsseldorf. But if they win against Osnabrück and use it to build up a head of steam then mm. we could actually be looking at a Werder Bremen side that's meeting expectations in this Vi Bundesliga, mm.
0: which is uh, something that's difficult to do. And talking about expectations, then, what do, you, what do you expect from this season and what do you want from this season? Because I, I guess they might be different things.
1: Yeah, so... The thing is about this squad is it's not particularly different to the one that came down from the Bundesliga, really. Mm. Like... They haven't brought in many new players. Yeah. Like, like they've brought in a few people. Like, um, they've brought in... Nikolai uh, yeah, Nic- Rapp from
0: Union Berlin.
1: Yeah, uh, Nikola Rapp from Union Berlin. Lucas Mai on loan from Bayern. Um, is Anthony uh,
0: Young a new signing as well? Pardon? Anthony Young, isn't he a new signing?
1: Yes, Ant- Anthony Young is a is a new signing too. Mm but like they haven't really lost many big players like they obviously they lost milo Rashika to mm. norwich which is a big loss uh um and nicolas Moisander has gone to malmo for the end of his career uh that but other than that like they haven't really lost anyone big um, yeah. they've like roughly got the same squad that they did in the bundesliga without so much turnover and it could be like, this could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. Like, mm. like, they could carry with them the negative feeling that was around the club into this five Bundesliga yeah. and really struggle and, like, have, have like, some mental struggles mm. trying kind to pick of like themselves up. Stoke.
0: Yeah. When they were first relegated. Yeah.
1: Mm. Or, or, or the upside of it is uh, the fact that this is very much still a Bundesliga squad mm. could show through and they could um, do very well out of it. um my worry is that like while there's a couple like good young players coming through like like Max Egerstein, Johannes Egerstein his brother as well uh Josh Sargent, Romano Schmid as well getting a few starts now uh there's also quite a few old heads that like maybe won't be all in on this like Mm. um club captain Omar Toprek is still about uh and I don't know how much his heart is going to be in it in the, in this five and does he go, I mean, I hope he is mm. because he's a real leader in that dressing room, but like, like there's a, uh, you get what I mean. Yeah. Like yeah. There's, it could go either way. Uh, I'm hopeful. Like, um, if they can put the poor run in behind them and build up ahead of steam, like they could, this is a squad that is, Capable of automatic promotion, definitely from the Schweinbunders Like yeah. you see that with the bookies' odds, they're second favourites for for promotion, I believe. Yeah, well, um, I'll be
0: honest though. Schalke are favourites, and I truly do not understand that. Yeah, I, I, think I don't. For get me, that and it, it pains me. Mm. But I think Hamburg are the favourites.
1: Mm. I I don't. I don't know if Hamburg. So I don't know who I'd have as favourites. I know it's not Schalker, and I know mm. it's not Werter, but it's also not Hamburg. Like, I don't want to look at this swipe of the sleeker and say that one of these, yes, they're who I think is definitely going up, because I will look, oh, get, look yeah, back no at Oh, yeah, no one's definitely going things. up. No. Like, I. And. So, I don't think it's Schalker, because I think there is just too much of a negative atmosphere around that club like there is too much work that needs to be done mm. uh like they need a full rebuild uh and i don't think it's coming this season uh and at the minute in the table they are where are they there they are they they got one win in their mm. first game in their second game which is all
0: don't know how to defend
1: yeah but like i i'm not super hopeful about schalke um in terms of uh, Hamburg, like, yeah, th- on paper, possibly the best squad in the league. Mm. But also, Hamburg have been hamburging real yes. hard the last two seasons, and it's they hard to a look have a mentality past that. problem. Mm. Uh, and, see, that's the thing. That's the problem, is it feels like all of these big sides in this vibundesliga have a mentality problem? Yeah, that's fair. Like, I don't know who to predict. Like, obviously, I... So... You ask me what I want and what I expect to happen. What I'd love to happen is for Werder to win this league as a canter uh, (laughs) and end up just sailing back into the Bundesliga where they belong next season. Uh, What I expect to happen is if... I expect one of two things to happen. If they can put the um, disappointment of last season behind them and build up a head of steam then they are going to be right up there in the automatic promotion chase. But I couldn't say whether or not they'll get in there ahead of the likes of Hamburg and Schalke. That's going to be very, very tight, I think. Yeah. Um, But if they don't get past it like, and they really struggle and they are leaky at the back and they don't get tons of luck like they did at the weekend, then this could very easily be a season of mid table mediocrity for Werder. Mm. Um, I think, a useful way to look at this, I'm going to take it from uh, the Not the Top 20 podcast and the way they did their season previews uh, of the English lower leagues, uh, and when they were talking about the likes of Ipswich and Sunderland in League One, is, like, Ipswich at their worst in League One were ninth. I feel like Bremen at their worst in the Zweibundesliga are sixth, seventh. But, mm. like, even if they perform on par just like, fine, they should be third, fourth.
0: Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is worth pointing out, by the way, as well, that I, I did that Best League in the World article last year, which Vita fighter Bundesliga won, but if I remember correctly, Bochum over the of the year were predicted to finish 10th and Goethe Firth were predicted to finish 13th, so it truly could be anyone. Personally, mm. I would love it to be Werder and St. Pauli, but yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know about that one, to be honest. Final thing I want to talk about quickly. Marcus Amfang is the new manager. Obviously, he had a successful spell last year with Darmstadt. Mm -hmm. How how do we feel about Amfang becoming the manager of Werder Bremen?
1: So... um... I can't pretend to know much about Anfang, but after the last few years of consistently promoting from within, Mm. uh, the chance for someone who's actually new to the club to come in and bring in some fresh ideas, uh, I'm very welcome to, I'm very open to. I'm glad that they haven't just, like, yoinked the under-23 manager or brought down the director of football like they have done in previous appointments. Like, I'm glad that we're gonna get some fresh ideas in the Werder Bremen first team, and hopefully, hopefully that's uh, the reset that they need to get themselves off and running in the Bundesliga.
0: And sorry for the, back, the background noise. It's worth mentioning that Darmstadt are seen as a you know a, a dark horse for promotion this year, despite the fact that their size is is you know not not up there with the Hamburgs and Werder Bremen's of this world, and part of the reason that why they could be dark horses this year is because of the work Amfang did last year so i i'm i'm optimistic and like you say the the constant internal hiring has, has not worked for quite a while now so bringing in an outsider definitely will be a big help anyway thank you so much for coming on and hopefully we'll be able to talk about many more Verder bremen wins in the future hopefully brilliant Let's move on then and talk about the other side who were relegated from the Bundesliga last year. Holstein Kiel nil Schalke 3. Now either this says that Schalke are actually really good and maybe deserve their status as favourites to win the league this year or Holstein Kiel are now actually really, really bad all of a sudden. One of the two. If you want to know how to beat Holstein Kiel this year, it's a very simple sort of formula. Just have a long free kick sent into the box because twice that happened in this game. And twice Holstein-Kiel conceded. First in the second minute, Simon Toroda scoring. Second of the 21st minute, Simon Toroda scoring. And both were almost identical. Long free-kick into the box. The Kiel defence far too advanced. Sort of couldn't track back in time. All the Schalke players onside. And Teroda being able to score on both occasions. And yeah, really shockingly bad defending. Like, you expect so much better from Kiel. And... Yet, here we are, two games into the season, six goals conceded. The third goal might be even worse, to be honest. Marius Voltaire scoring. And he sort of cuts in from the left. No defender challenges him. And then when he places it into the keeper's near side, he so, he just sort of stands there and then falls over. After, after the ball has passed him, that is. And yeah, you expect so, so, so much better from this keel side. And they've not produced anything. They obviously lost 3 0 last week to St. Pauli. And, you know, it was, it was a performance where, if you look at it from a kill's perspective, they didn't turn up for the entire second half. They weren't really convincing going forward at all. They did suffer some bad luck defensively. I think all of the goals were really well taken, all timed well. But this week it was really, really bad defending. On all three goals. And that's not to take away from Simon Toroda, Who looks like the best attacker in the to Bundesliga again. And not to take away from Schalke. Who after a quite disappointing performance in the opening game of the season. Have recovered in this game. Played really well. But I, I think there are big warning signs here for Holstein Kiel. They're bottom of the league at the moment. Conceded six. Scored none. No points. And to be honest... I don't know where I'd put them on a scale of, like, 1 to 5 if 1 was not concerned at all and 5 was, oh my god, sack everyone now, but I'd probably say a 3 off the top of my head. There's definitely something concerning. These are two of the better sides in the league, I hope two of the better sides in the league, but still, I, I don't know what's going wrong. Maybe they turn this around, maybe they turn this around and, you know, this sort of just seems like a silly sort of overreaction to the first two weeks of the season, but maybe they don't. Like I said, they should be finishing in the top half, they should be finishing in the top six, but will they? I don't know. I don't think it's as clear-cut as it was before, and there are, you know, there's questions too that need to be answered by Keel. I think they will answer them, I I don't think they'll be going down, put put it that way, but... Is that top six finish as nailed as it was before? Probably not. Next time out on the 14th they do have an easier fixture. Just kidding! They're playing Jan Regensburg, one of the two sides, with a perfect record in the league this year. So if they get a result out of that then all is fine. If they lose by three goals again then oof. And then the week after that they've got Fortuna Dusseldorf. So it doesn't get easier then. Their first game that you know, maybe they go into as favourites is on the 28th against Ezra Giao. And they've shown an absolute resilience when it comes to conceding in the sense that they haven't. So, who knows how long it takes for Kiel to get their first win of the season, and who knows how long it takes them to turn this form around. Which, by the way, obviously, this bad run of form started last year when they, you know, Uh choked away... That was not a choking sound. (laughs) When they (laughs) choked away the chance of promotion, but yeah, fingers crossed for them anyway. Hamburg won, Dynamo Dresden won. Hamburg had so much space for that opening goal, it was absolutely ridiculous. The opening goal of the game being scored by Ludovic Reis in the fifth minute. They did have chances after that, a few really, really easy chances for Hamburg, but they didn't take any of them, and the more the game went on with them not being able to take these chances, the more you thought, are not going to hold on to this, are they? If you're missing chances like that, you know all it takes is for them to have one chance, and suddenly they're back in the game. I do want to say, though, there was also a really good, solid goalkeeper performance by Dresden keeper Kevin Brohl, so fair play to him, but the equaliser came with 68th minute, Tim Nipping scoring with that, and yeah, really good header for the equaliser, Hamburg had so many easy chances to win this game, so, so many easy chances, and, and they blew all of them, and so, yeah, they they didn't deserve to win this, and bit of a dampener after that week one win against Schalke, but, you know, they didn't completely blow it for change, so, so there's that, and of course our next game is that big derby against St. Pauli on the 13th, so... Who knows how that's going to go? I am ultra nervous already. We'll quickly mention because we haven't yet. Uh, Saint Pauli nil, owl nil. Giroberg It was at- our owl, but Guido Bergstahler scored quite a good, quite a good hit, but it was disallowed for offside. The second week in a row in which Saint Pauli's scream has been disallowed for offside correctly. But still, ugh, apart from that, no, no, side really deserved to win this. It was a really, really drabber game. The other reason I want to bring this game up as well. I have restarted following St. Pauli on the Sports Blitz. It's going to be in a reduced format this year because I'm going to be focusing on another team that will be announced later on. Ooh, that's that's how we get everyone excited. But... Yeah, so it's going to be a reduced format this year, but I have uploaded the first article looking back at the Kiel and Ow games, and yeah, give that a read, it's on the Sports Blitz if you want to read it, and it's a really good series of articles, and and it actually is one of the more popular things that I do, weirdly, so yeah, go and give that a read if you want it on the Sports Blitz. Let's have a look at the league table to close out this review of the Zweite Bundesliga. Two teams at the top with a 100% record, Karlsruhe and Jan Regensburg, both on six points. Then come five teams on four points, Dynamo Dresden, St. Pauli, Hamburg, Bremen and Heidenheim are the top seven. Looking at the other end of the table, four teams have not picked up a single point in the of Bundesliga this year. Holstein, Kiel, bottom of the league, having conceded six goals. Sandhausen and Darmstadt above them and Ingolstadt above them, all on zero points. Hannover, Al Paderborn and Nuremberg are still waiting for their first swings in the league this season. Okay, let's go into the news then and let's start with a certain Argentinian Fasando Nadalin has left Newells on a loan to go to Rafaela in the Argentina Pereira Nacional. And I think that's a really good move. They obviously really needed a... No, we're not talking about him. We're talking about Lionel Messi, who has left Barcelona officially now. There have been a few rumours over the last few days about tensions between Messi and Barcelona, about how the club is being ran. And, of course, not helped by Barcelona's financial issue. They can't actually physically sign him up yet due to... La Liga's financial rules and so he is now officially leaving Barcelona. It really is the end of an era for Spanish football, for Barcelona, for for world football in general to be honest. Lionel Messi made 520 appearances for Barcelona. He scored 474 goals in the process, winning La Liga 10 times, the Copa del Rey 7 times. Champions League four times and the FIFA Club World Cup three times. In a club that has so many icons, so many legends, he really does stand out amongst them. He might be the greatest player in the history of Barcelona and that says a lot. He has meant so much to that club, so much to the city as well and it's really going to be hard to picture him not wearing a Barcelona shirt. Which does bring me on to my question, where does Lionel Messi go? For me, there are two clubs who he could really go to. PSG and Manchester City. Because if he's going to keep his wage demands as they are, obviously he made millions a week at Barcelona, then they're really the only clubs who can afford to sign him in this current market. The Manchester City link obviously makes a lot of sense. He would be reunited with Pep Guardiola and would get to go to one of the best-ran clubs in Europe, but then again, he would at PSG as well, and he gets to reunite with Neymar, and if you remember the Copa America final, you'll know there's still quite a lot of love between those two. So, both of them make a lot of sense. He has apparently already started negotiations with PSG, but we don't really know yet. The issue with PSG is that it seems like they need to sell before they can buy, And that maybe they would have to sell Mbappe to get Messi, which wouldn't really be that smart a move. And also, if they do get Messi, they kind of want him to play next to Mbappe. And then you get that messi Neymar mbappe combination, which M-M-N or M-M-N or N-M-M doesn't really work as well as M-S-N. Maybe N-M-squared, something like that. M-squared-N. I don't know. But... It would be a very, very good signing for PSG, obviously. It would be fantastic to watch them three as well up front. And I think that's probably the best move if he can get to PSG, if they can afford him, which is weird to say considering who owns them. But if they can afford him, I think PSG would probably be the best move. The question is, where do Barcelona go from here? Because my big worry is that the Lagranas are going to demand somebody replace him, right? Obviously. So who's going to fill the Messi role at Barcelona now? Because I guess the most logical replacement for Messi would be Ansu Fati, but to put that much pressure on a teenager would be harsh. It'd be very harsh. So that's not exactly the best idea, to be honest. But they've got to find someone and maybe this is all a massive bluff. Maybe Messi does end up re-signing with Barcelona but at the moment it obviously doesn't seem very likely. Who knows what happens from here? And who knows how La Liga respond to this because it's lost its two most marketable stars in one summer. And the the people who are saying La Liga is dead are obviously wrong because La Liga did exist before Lionel Messi and will continue to exist after it. And to be honest, if you're watching a league purely because of one player, you're a very weird person, to be honest. So, La Liga's not dead, but it could definitely do with a star who can at least somewhat try and replace Lionel Messi. Obviously, if they just have an exciting league season, that will be even better. And it should be an exciting league season in La Liga this year. But still, an end of an era, Messi's gone. It's still really weird to say this is almost like when Tom Brady left for Patriots it's just really really strange let's move on to Derby County a lot of news about Derby County over the last few months and of course no news has been good news and neither is this news either the Derby players reportedly went into training on Thursday morning and were given new contracts but they did not have the wages on them so these new contracts didn't say how much the players would be getting paid those contracts, which seems super illegal to me. Apparently, it's because VFL haven't told them how much they can spend, and depending on who you ask, it might only be for new signings or for the entire team. Uh, Again, depends on who you trust, but great. Absolutely great. I feel so sorry for Derby fans. I would usually say at this point, you know, I've been through that sort of thing as a Leeds fan, but actually I haven't. Even Leeds didn't go through anything like this during their Awful slump, and you know, you can't help but feel sorry for the fans who just want to support the team. You can avoid feeling sorry for Mal Morris, who has put them in this situation in the first place and truly deserves what he is getting. But at the same time, he's one who's just going to bail. It's Derby fans who are going to be left with this mess, and so honestly, Derby fans just maybe I don't know go for a walk or watch Rugby League, or just do something else this year, because it's not going to be Derby County's year in the Championship. Let's move on. Let's talk about Harry Kane. Harry Kane has not turned up for training at Tottenham Hotspur, despite having meant to have come back at the start of this week, seen as a way to force a move. Maybe to Manchester City, that seemed like the most likely target, but then again, if they're going to sign Messi, then maybe not. The interesting thing about this is that Gary Neville, I think, was very right. He said, Harry Kane is a model professional. You know, he does everything right. He makes sure that he is a prime example, a good leader. So, if he's doing this, he must truly be irked. Reportedly, it was something to do with a gentleman's screaming about him being able to leave the club that has been broken by Daniel Levy. Seems likely, to be honest. And, yeah... If Harry Kane is doing this, if Harry Kane is the one to to force a move, that's big. That's very big, because this is not the sort of thing that Harry Kane would normally do. If you see it from another player, like a Mateus Pereira, or someone like that, then you get it, you just go, yeah, yeah, it's Mateus Pereira, he's just throwing a hissy fit. But Harry Kane, the model player, the model professional doing this, does feel like it's very different, and it does feel like it's far more significant I don't know where this ends, I don't know if Harry Kane will ever want to play for Tottenham again, probably will to be honest, but if your star man, your leader, your player that every other player looks up to is doing this, that is going to be a very bad atmosphere in the locker room next year and that is not going to help Tottenham Hotspur at all. It makes far more sense to cash in at £100 which is a ridiculous number anyway. I I think the relationship is going to be permanently damaged, at least between Tottenham and Harry Kane. Maybe not between Tottenham fans and Harry Kane, but definitely between Levy and Harry Kane. So, I would probably cut ties now if I were them. But obviously that's easier said than done, especially for me as a Leeds fan, who's not going to have to deal with the consequences. If they can convince him to move to a foreign team, that would be even better for Tottenham, but... Honestly, I don't see this ending well regardless of what happens to be perfectly honest. According to the BBC police have made 11 arrests following the racist abuse of Baka Saka, Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho during the Euro 2020 final. Good. Good. That's all that really needs to be said. Actions have consequences. And a lot of people don't seem to know that in 2021, actions have consequences nice to see that these people are getting their comeuppance meanwhile sky sports have acquired the rights to the bundesliga in the uk for the next four years i want to talk about this obviously we talked about the bundesliga rights last week on the podcast and now we do have an official provider of bundesliga coverage in the uk once again obviously that's good news we do love the Bundesliga here. It's probably my favourite league, at least my favourite top flight in the world. And so having it back on TV is absolutely fantastic. I was really nervous that we wouldn't have a provider going into this year in the United Kingdom. And so the fact that I will be able to watch it is good. The problems from that we mentioned last week are still there. Where are they going to put the games? I'm presuming on Sky Sports Football. I don't think they'll be making a new channel exclusively for the Bundesliga. But it is going to have to compete for space with the Championship and the Scottish Premiership, which is a slightly weird move. My biggest concern is that they didn't mention this fight of Bundesliga at all in the press release, and that is very concerning, especially when the next game in the Bundesliga is Hamburg against St. Pauli, which is a phenomenal game. If you have the rights to show that, you should absolutely be showing it. The one piece of optimism I have is that either Sky might have just asked to not have it and they'll show it somewhere else, or the Sky press release did mention YouTube. And if they put the games on YouTube, on their Sky Sports Football YouTube page, that would be absolutely fantastic. You'll get more people into the league. That would be phenomenal. The good thing for the Bundesliga is Sky Sports is the biggest provider of football in the UK and probably the most recognisable and so this will really help to grow the league. A lot of people who have different opinions to me about La Liga TV say that you know La Liga in the UK was at its prime or at least at its most popular when it was on Sky Sports and whilst I love La Liga TV, that's probably a fair assessment and so... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if going to Sky Sports really helps boost the Bundesliga's profile. The BT Sport coverage of the Bundesliga was always fine-ish. The commentators were... eh. But apart from that, you know, they did actually give a lot of time to the league, so that was good. But hopefully it thrives on Sky, hopefully they pick up this fight of Bundesliga, hopefully they put some games on YouTube, and hopefully we get to watch Hamburg versus St. Paul in a few weeks. That's what matters most to me. Two more news stories to go into. According to Kicker, in a surprise transfer move, the Bender Twins Lars and Sven have returned to their boyhood club, TSV Brannenberg. On Sunday, they played their first competitive match for the 9th Division club since 1999 and are set to be full members of the team for the remainder of the season. Fantastic. It's nice to see the Bender Twins back and, well, I say see, I don't know where you'd get 9th Division coverage in the UK, 9th Division German coverage in the UK, maybe it's on Sky, but it is nice to see them back in football at least, and best of luck to them in my new adventure. Final thing I want to mention, Preston's shy opponents, they had some very shy opponents, they played a friendly this week, they won 5-0, and at the bottom of the match report it said, quote, Please note, the opposition requests are not to be named, with this being the reason there was no live coverage and there are unfortunately no highlights available for this fixture. Following further discussions between both clubs, it was agreed that Preston North End could share details of the results and the scorers without naming the opposition. Unquote. Why? I have never seen this before. I have never, ever seen this before. A team being so embarrassed by a friendly result. A friendly result that they don't want the details of it being shared. It's presumably Burnley. That's the rumour going around. But why would Burnley be that embarrassed? Who cares? It's a friendly. The fact that they've decided not to publish this has drawn so much more attention than it would have got anyway. No one would have cared. But now they're going, oh no, we don't want to say it's us. Everyone cares. And most people agree that it was Burnley. I mean... It's just such a confusing decision. I don't get it at all. Really, really, really odd. Anyway, we're going to close out the show with the Weekend Watchers, my favourite games from this weekend for you to watch. And we're going to start off with the Championship because the Championship returns tonight. And we're going to start with that game. Bournemouth versus West Brom is my favourite game from this weekend. Bournemouth, obviously now under the managerial guidance of Scott Parker. going to be interesting to see how he does there on the Dorset Coast. And I am quite optimistic for him. They do have quite a paper-thin squad. That's the big worry. But it's going to be quite an interesting season for Bournemouth. It'll be interesting to see how Parker adapts to his new club. Meanwhile, West Brom might be the most interesting side to watch anywhere this year because they've got Valerian Ismail as their new manager and Val Ball is going to be going to the Hawthorns. They've also got Alex Mower in from Barnsley to help that transition. I do think they'll get off to probably a slow start this year as they adjust to the new system but I am really looking forward to seeing how that works at West Brom. It's going to be absolutely fascinating and yeah, best of luck to him. I would love to see Valerian Ismail in the Premier League. It would be phenomenal. Though we get to as a, as a bigger Championship fan, we get to enjoy him in the Championship once more this year. There are the games of the weekend to look out for. Ligue 1, Mets against Lille. Lille starting their title defence this weekend. Obviously, I don't think anyone really expects them to keep their crown after the players they've lost. And of course, there's a chance Lionel Messi might be coming to PSG which will not help matters, but it should still be a very interesting game to see how they open up their title defence this year. League 1, I'm going for Charlton against Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday relegated from the Championship last year against the Charlton side, really turning the corner under their new ownership. Both sides will be expecting to be near the top. Come the end of the year and maybe getting promoted back to the Championship. Best of luck to Charlton because I prefer them. And League 2 game of the weekend Mansfield against Bristol Rovers, much the same reason. Both sides expect to be near the top. I think they're the second and third favourites for the title at the moment. Final game to mention DFB Pokal. It was originally going to be Bremer against Bayern Munich, but that game has been postponed due to Bremer's Covid issues. So, instead, I'm going for Weyhen against Borussia Dortmund. Weyhen, a third-tier side, relegated two years ago now from the to Bundesliga into the Dritte Liga. They're going up against Borussia Dortmund, who, of course, won the DFB Pokal last year. Let's see how the reigning champions start off their new DFB Pokal campaign. Of course, under Marco Rosa, their new manager, should be a very exciting game indeed. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the podcast today. Thank you for listening. My thanks also go to Alex Towles for coming on earlier. We will be back next week to talk about the Championship. The Championship is back and boy am I excited. To be honest, I have really enjoyed these two weeks. Exclusively, pretty much, talking about East Fighter Bundesliga, which I do think is such a phenomenal league. But we are going to be able to talk about the Championship as well next week. We hope to see you then. But until then, goodbye.